0: Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Niro Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. All right. Welcome, everyone, to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Niro Bundia, Dr. Drew Lansdowne, and Dr. Brian Feely. Today, we have the pleasure of having two of our former sports medicine fellows, Caitlin Chambers and Emily Monroe, um, who were here, I believe, three years ago. Um, as our fellows. And uh, we really wanted to give our audience a kind of an insight into what it is um, fellows do here at the UCSF Sports Medicine Fellowship and get an insight into their practice. So once again, Caitlin and Emily, thank you for uh, joining us. Um, If you guys could both tell us a little bit more about your practice and where you are right now, and maybe just a quick uh, summary of your your background of how you you got to where you are.
1: Sure. So uh, hi, this is Caitlin Chambers here. Um, So I Uh, I'm currently in practice at University of Minnesota. Um, I got interested in ortho, pretty um, cliche. I got an injury back in high school, but at that time I actually thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. So I spent some time shadowing a physical therapist, um, but then ended up also spending some time in the ortho clinic associated with that, with that PT office. And that's when it really clicked for me. Um, So I got an interest in high school. I was actually an athletic trainer at University of Michigan in my undergrad. So that really cemented my interest in ortho and sports medicine. So that's kind of what led me down the path of ortho. But as mentioned, now uh, I'm in academic orthopedics at University of Minnesota um, and focusing on
2: sports medicine. And I'm Emily Monroe. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm currently in practice in Alexandria, Minnesota, which is a relatively small town. We're about 15,000 people, but pretty large catchment area. We do a fair amount of outreach to try and bring patients to our area. Um, I actually grew up in this town and my dad is a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, also now retired, but was probably what piqued my interest in medicine in the first place. Um, so I always kind of knew I'd do medicine, and in medical school, it just—I tried to like other things, but orthopedics is really a great field, um, and sports medicine just felt very natural to me. I enjoyed working with um, with athletes and uh, doing arthroscopy, so that was a large part of um, why I chose my field. And my practice right now um, is probably in the 60 to 70% sports medicine range. Um, and, um, you know, fortunately I've had a lot of, um, um, my dad's form of patience. So, um, definitely have a good sports catchment, um, in my current position.
3: So Emily, you got your, um, you got your Minnesota accent back. We thought you lost it for a little bit when you were in California, but it <laughs> apparently came right back. Oh no. <laughs> um, so what have the first few years in practice been like for you all?
2: Um, Well, for me, um, um, it's been really good. I mean, I think the transition from fellowship was, um, I mean, a a huge part of why I chose the fellowship was for mentorship, and so I think that continued, and and you guys would probably um, relay back that I relied a lot more heavily earlier on, but as kind of i have been getting further in, you can rely more on your own experience, and um, it's been a huge advantage for me to have my dad around, and he's been another mentor to me, and I still have, even though he's retired now, I still have him in the OR with me. So I continue to learn and, you know, get better tricks and get better with time. So it's been really, um, I feel very blessed with my practice.
1: Yeah. And um, I would say my practice has been been going well with, with any practice, you know, it takes some time to ramp up and to kind of fine tune what you, um, what you want your practice to look like. So now uh, almost, three years out, I feel like I'm, I'm at the point where I feel pretty comfortable. I like kind of the focus of my practice and, um, and people who refer to me and my partners kind of know um, what my interests are, I guess. So I'm, I'm at that point where um, now I feel like I can start saying no to something because um, I've, I've got enough volume to really tune it, tune it into what I'm most interested in, what I think I, I do the best job with. So I think that's been a pretty rewarding uh, aspect as of late.
4: And what do you both feel has been the biggest surprise of um, starting practice and transitioning from training?
1: Um, I would say for me, I think the biggest surprise is how busy it still is. You know, I always had this notion, like once you finish training, oh, you're not, you don't have conferences, you're not, you know, you're done learning. So you have all of this magical free time. But now I still find myself preparing for cases, charting. It uh, takes forever. Uh, lots of Zoom meetings this year, stuff with teaching, with mentoring, with national and regional society involvement. So it's just, it's really busy. So, I mean, I don't have uh, Monday morning or Monday evening conferences to prepare for anymore, but but still a lot of time spent outside of practice just with the, the rest of my professional life.
4: You can always still come join for the Monday conferences. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm sure we can ask unintelligible questions with vague outcomes, and see if you can remember what studies we're trying to ask you about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
4: perfect. <laughs> Emily, what do you think has been your biggest surprise?
2: Um, I think that's true in that you know you have to keep preparing, and you always kind of think, oh, you're you're going to be done soon, and you just I guess it's not really a surprise, but every time it happens, you kind of are surprised that there's still more. Um, You know, after we passed our boards, now we have to get our sports medicine certification and then there's all the CME. So it's kind of just, you know, you kind of knew they were coming, but um, it's still always a little bit of surprise when they come up and you have to actually continue doing those things.
0: Has there been something that's been, you know, that you say has probably been the toughest in terms of the transition? I mean, I remember my first year as an attending, and it wasn't necessarily the the technical aspects of things, but it was the, you know, the preoperative, you know, deciding who to operate on. Is there something that you you kind of have found, both of you, that's been the toughest that that first couple years of practice?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of joking, like you just can't rotate off your own service. I mean, these patients that you see, you have to I mean, not that you're not invested in people. You are invested in people, but you keep seeing them back. So if something's not successful, it's trying to figure out what the next best thing to do is. And that's been the toughest thing for me. It's just when people don't necessarily get better, when you would expect them to get better.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like that's, you know, that patient who keeps coming back, they have pain, they're not happy and you, you there's not a, another resident who's going to come on the service. It's you're just kind of basically like they're, they're yours and they know you, they know where to find you. You know, you have to, to deal with them. So I definitely found that challenging. How about you, Caitlin?
1: I was going to say pretty much the same thing is that I mean I think the the thing that really hits you hard when you get into practice is that these are your patients you feel responsibility so yes while complications happen happily not frequently and I mean they're not fun to go through in in training either but now suddenly when they happen it's your patient and even if it's not anything you did technically wrong you still feel responsible and you feel guilty and so I think just the weight of that um, hits you. But but at the same time, I, that same exact sentiment can be spun in a positive way that they're your patients. And so when they do really well, um, they come and they say, thank you. And, and it feels pretty gratifying.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that one of the hardest parts isn't that the patient, not the ones that have complications, but the ones that the surgery went well, the post-op recovery went fine. And they didn't get to their expectations. And I think over the next few years, we'll really start figuring out how we can differentiate between patients who really need surgery or really need physical therapy versus those that just need to be told, hey, you know, this is the expectation is, this is how this part of your body feels at this age with this much overuse or this much underuse. Um, and we'll be able to counsel patients a lot better. Um, so we're now at the point where we're looking mm-hmm. for new fellows and, you know, a couple weeks ago, we did a podcast looking at what people look for in terms of residencies. Now that you have finished and been out in practice for a couple years, can you compare and contrast the resident application process with and the fellowship application process, and how that may be different?
1: Yeah, I think um, when you're looking at residency, you're going into they're not not in most cases, knowing exactly what you want to do. So you're looking kind of for the whole breadth of experience. So, so that's a little bit different. When you're looking for a fellowship, you kind of have narrowed it down somewhat. And honestly, I think for sports in particular, there are a lot of really great, great programs. And I think you'll end up getting really good technical education uh, in most places, if not all places. But I think the thing that really makes it different is this is the last step before real life. And so it's when you need to be start starting to think about that next step of your real job. And so looking at things like mentorship beyond just the year of fellowship, I think becomes really important. Thinking about these people as the people that you'll turn to when you have tough cases um, or interesting cases that you wanna run run uh, by some, some experts, these are your experts.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think when I was looking for a residency you look a little bit about what the program feel is like at least that was important to me and kind of how people got along were people happy did they feel like they were being given opportunities to do better and have a good curriculum of you know how to build their knowledge base because you're kind of starting from a pretty low level and you have to have somewhere that's going to teach you that and i think that's a little you know a little bit what i was looking for in fellowship also is a little bit of a structure to that and that's true of the Night conference that we you know, had topics, we could pick topics that were important to us, um, but also forced you to prepare and kind of, I need someone to be kind of kicking me in a little bit to, um, you know, force me to learn and force me to, to put in the work to read. Um, so that was important to me. And obviously mentorship, as I mentioned before, was a huge determinant for me. And I just, you know, very vividly remember that from my interview for fellowship was that, you know, basically we're this is, this is lifelong, you know, we're investing in you and you're investing in us. And and that was very important to me. And I think, as Caitlin pointed out, there's a lot of great programs. um, But I think it's about finding the right people and making sure the exact sort of case mix of things that they have are going to mix with what your goals are. So, you know, they UCSF has a great hip portion. And if that's, you know, that's a very hot thing. But if that's if you actually want to do that in practice, I think that prepared you for that open shoulder as well. So I think that looking at the case mix and what your goals are was important to me also.
3: Yeah, we should mention that um, you two went to residency together. So and the way the match works is it's not like we picked both of you together. It's sort of a random assortment based on your all preferences. So when we matched both of you, the first things we asked people at Northwestern was do Caitlin and Emily actually get along or is this going to be a one? <laughs> Thankfully, everybody <laughs> said that you got, you all got along
1: yeah very much so yeah I think we were both and we were both just as, as surprised um to both end up there pleasantly surprised and our husbands as well since they get
2: along too yeah and it's definitely a relief to know the dynamics already because fellowship is kind of a stressful year in that you're jumping into doing a lot having a lot more responsibility um and to know that you have someone that you trust um to, you know, so things don't slip through the cracks. That was really great. And um, was a lot, a nice stressor not to have.
4: <laughs> and then, so when you're looking back on the time here at UCSF, um, what do you think are some of your like favorite memories that really stand out or favorite parts of the program?
1: So um, I would say just kind of generally speaking, um, I I don't think I ever would have said this in the moment, but the the Monday the Monday night conferences really were one of one of the best parts. Um, I always went into them like a little scared because I didn't want to you know get get pimped on on some literature that I didn't know the the year publication on or something like that. Just <laughs> kidding. Um, but um, looking back, I mean that was just I still reference my notes from those conferences. I I have this fellowship notes thing on my Google Drive. And so sometimes when I'm like thinking about something that I haven't thought about in a while, I pull them up. And so I think that was just huge in preparing me um, and and setting a good foundation of my sports specific knowledge. Um, But otherwise, more generally speaking, I think I just, I really enjoyed my time. I learned a lot, but I had fun the entire time. Like you guys, all of the all of the surgeons that we work with at UCSF are really nice people, fun people. Um, I really enjoyed going to conferences with the group and everything. So overall just very positive experience.
2: Yeah, I, um, I totally would echo what Caitlin has said and that the people again are really, um, you all are very approachable, um, you know, great senses of humor and that always you know makes time go faster especially when you're working on a case and those things. Um, We had a nice, you know, between Caitlin and I just notes of how different people did things. And I think, you know, we each tried to figure out why people did certain things. And I love referencing those notes, too, because it brings me back to the feeling of, you know, being in being in fellowship and having that camaraderie. And, um, you know, when you do things, how you guys did things, it's like uh, it just feels feels familiar and it feels like we were there again.
3: It shouldn't have taken you all that long to think of something you actually liked or looked back fondly on. We'll will, we will bring that up in your permanent
4: record.
2: Oh, there's just too many to choose from. Sure, sure.
4: Maybe here one follow-up on that. But um, what about outside of fellowship, like spending the year in the Bay Area, San Francisco? Um, and you guys like were previously in Chicago and then have gone to Minnesota, but like what stands out from you know that time here in the area?
2: Um, we just love the you know the surrounding area. Um, and doing a lot of hiking and being outdoors. So I think, you know, for a year, it's just a great spot to have spent it. And we just had a bucket list that we would just, you know, we had time, we would check it off. And um, so I had a great time outside of fellowship as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed um, checking out places in the area as well. I would say I, I definitely miss uh, Spark, the <laughs> it's a, yeah. a, a food truck kind of park, like right across from where we lived in the in the on-campus housing. And it was just, I mean, it was better than takeout because you just walk across the street and have really high quality food in, in five minutes.
0: Kind of transitioning here a little bit um, to more kind of a general topic we, we deal with in orthopedics. You know, one of the things that orthopedics has struggled is being very diverse, particularly um, both with gender and and with racial diversity how do you feel both as as female orthopedic surgeons involved in sports medicine that that orthopedics in general um, can get more women involved in the field? And that's just not in orthopedics, but in sports medicine in general and the various roles, particularly in what what we traditionally see as a very white male dominated field.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's definitely a pipeline problem uh, in, in getting women interested in ortho, which I think needs to start really early. So there are some great programs like the Perry Initiative, which um, was, was founded by Dr. Lisa Latanza, who was previously at, at UCSF. She was big in, in the foundation of that. But um, those programs are looking at getting high schoolers and med students engaged and interested in orthopedics early. And I think that's really what it takes. Um, you know, um, I think that at UCSF, there's uh, actually a pretty high number of, of females in the department and in the resident classes. And even outside of that, what I think is important is that it doesn't take a female to be a mentor for a female. Um, And and same thing, it doesn't necessarily take a underrepresented minority to be a mentor for an underrepresented minority. And and what I really enjoyed is that everybody in the sports department um, at UCSF that I interacted with was very much a a huge mentor uh, to me and very supportive and a great ally for that. for increasing the the diversity uh, overall and and my career as a whole.
2: Yeah, I think those are great comments, um, and I think the the key word that she said is ally, and it's it, we're just at the point. There's just not enough of us to be visible to all the you know possible people that would want to go into it. Um, so being an ally for those people, and if they're having you know, I think if there's interactions that are occurring. Um, that you're seeing are negative or dissuading someone from pursuing something because of their gender or their um, ethnicity or you know anything, just be like, you know what? that's not. Um, you know that's that's not a reason not to do it. Um, if you love it and that's what you're interested in it, you should you know pursue it and explore if it's the right fit for you um, and not be based on you know the determinants you know, that we you know sometimes are just associating with the field.
1: And I would also add, you know, when Emily, Emily and I were in fellowship, we both had very young children. Like I moved to California with a two month old and Emily was six months six. or so. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the classic deterrents of women into surgical fields is this this um, stigma or the feeling like you can't have a family or you can't have children. And it's simply not true. Um, and I think that, uh, I, very early on, it was clear to me that that everybody at UCSF was very supportive of us having time to enjoy our young families uh, and making that that a priority for our experience as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we're lucky in terms of allyship and just what's normal for us. I mean, we have in our sports medicine group, we have 50% of the faculty are women. So it looks normal and feels normal to us to see women as residents, as faculty, and as fellows. And even the last two months, we both of our residents were female and both of our fellows this year are female. So it, it's almost abnormal when we have a predominantly male group. And frankly, sometimes feels a little bit worse. Um, it's okay to be blunt with this because I've experienced this being in clinic and ORs with you, but what is the hardest part about being a woman in orthopedics and sports medicine?
2: I just think um, walking into a room, people just don't automatically recognize you as a surgeon, even though that's what they're there to see you for. I mean, clinic is probably the most common time I find that. And it's just always very depressing to reach the end of the patient encounter, having talked to them in depth about what surgery I think is gonna be right for them, why I'm doing that, what the risks are. And they're like, oh, so." Are you the one that's doesn't that's doing this surgery for me? And it's you know it's just very depressing to feel um, like that they're not recognizing that that's what the whole patient encounter was about.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think you know sometimes there's little snippets of kind of underhanded com- comments or um, or feelings like you're being treated a little differently than your male colleagues in in a you know um, between you and nurses or you and other physicians things like that. Those aren't super common, I would say, but the ones that are really more upsetting is when your patients seem to treat you differently because you're a female. So that same thing like Emily of, of you walk in the room and they say, oh, the nurse is here. No disrespect to nurses. Nurses are amazing, but that's not who I am. Uh, and I did your surgery yesterday. Um, things like that. So I think it's just uh, not uh, having that assumption that, that I
2: am capable of being their surgeon. On the then, other hand, I do think that people like female physicians, and I think that that is somewhat of an advantage. So a lot of my patients maybe seek me out because I'm a woman. So I think there is you know a little bit of flip side to that also.
4: Um and then those feelings of like not being like immediately felt to be the surgeon or whatnot, um do you feel that that's more common from patients uh, or colleagues, um, hospital staff, or like who's um, the primary driver there?
1: I would say probably most commonly from patients and um not not never but but sometimes from from other colleagues uh in the hospital like more so in residency I think when uh you know an ortho consult has been called and you show up to reduce the hip and they look at you like you're ortho are you sure you can handle this like that kind of scenario you would see but I think less so in practice now is it uh is it amongst other healthcare
2: providers and I think it's um you know when you already have kind of like your name has been around the hospital people know a little bit your name at least you know i think that helps from a staff perspective and you know colleague perspective so i think for me it's more patient or maybe if i'm calling to an outside facility or something like that but um i think i did call out an arthrex rep because i was arranging to do a course and they I was trying to get it scheduled or refund or funded or something and um, they're like oh I'm not finding your profile and I was like that's strange because I should be registered for this and they're like I'm like I'm, I'm one of the surgeons so like oh I was going down the rep pathway for this and I was like that's a lot of the bias going on just to <laughs> let you know on that one but Um, So that was probably the most blatant thing I've experienced since training. Yeah.
1: And I did get paged uh, by the nurse I was standing next to in the OR at the VA because they needed the attending there to do the (laughs) (sighs) sign-in.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we struggle with. Um, I like to think that... In our fellowship and in our residency, we do well, but we're continually pointed out times that we can do a little bit better. And one of the things I've really liked about working both with the senior and junior people um, at UCSF and to a, to a large extent, more and more in the sports medicine community is that most people seem amenable to change and understanding that we still make mistakes. And I think that hopefully will change more for the better in the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, and, and I agree. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the issues are, you know, people can go to a course, they understand the grand concepts, but it's in the minute when they're not thinking about it. And, and when they're not, you know, in the minute by minute, day by day things where I think that's more painful, even things I've experienced as well, too, as opposed to someone coming up to you and being able to define what implicit bias is. I mean, that's great, but I'd rather you, you know, in that moment in clinic or in the OR, you know, treat someone with showing that you, you know, understand what's going on. Um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, this is more of a particularly probably more for Caitlin because you know she's on Twitter as well too. Um, How do you feel and I still have that cup you gave me um, that Twitter famous that's my (laughs) my, my coffee my coffee cup. how do you feel the role of social media is, you know, I think initially it was, you know, a place to kind of, you know, get articles out or post funny things, but it's really become, I think, a tool uh, to disseminate uh, research, promote practice, and also kind of affect change in, in orthopedics. How do you feel y- the role of social media is as you particularly as you develop
3: your practice? Make sure you're nice yeah. to with this one.
1: <laughs> so I do think um, I, I have some previous co-residents who who certainly used seem to use social media a lot as a marketing um, strategy for for their own individual practices. But I think the more common and to me, the more gratifying purpose of it is um, to interact with with other orthopedic surgeons and, and physicians in general. So I've, I've had some really positive interactions. I've learned things from med Twitter about like billing and, and things like that. Um, and so I think that it's a, a really great way to, um, kind of meet people that you haven't actually met uh there's you know in addition to twitter on facebook there's this women in orthopedic facebook group which is amazing i mean people will post you know kind of non-ortho stuff on there but then we'll post cases with patient permission of course post tough cases or post requests for follow-up on somebody who was out of town when they got injured and it's a really really supportive group and when women have had bad experiences from from the essence of being a female and orthopedic surgeon it's a great place to vent with with kind of no fear of uh retribution from from your own personal institution or anything like that so i think for me social media has been a great means of finding support in my own community.
0: How about you, Emily? What what are your thoughts? I know you're not as active as Caitlin, but kind of your your thoughts on use or not using it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the group that Caitlin pointed out has been a great resource and I think just a nice supportive kind of early practice, you know, thing to have helpful. I'm not, I, I don't know, it's I think that there's definitely value in being active on social media. I think in the more competitive markets, it definitely you know kind of shows your patients those things. But um, professionally, I've not really used used too much. My group does have a, a page that um, they post sort of just appointment availability and sort of advertising of the physicians that are there and what sort of qualifications we have and what things we're really well able to help people with. So I think it's you know just trying to get the word out to people that yeah, it's it's growing. It's probably going to become more more of it. I think it's probably inevitable. But um, at this point, just very superficially involved for me.
0: Well, Caitlin and Emily, thank you so much for for joining our our podcast today. You know, one of the things of our fellowship, and I'm sure Brian and Drew can can chime in, is seeing seeing everyone out in their first couple of years of practice and really making a name for themselves. And you know, that can be academically, it can be within the community, and and it's great to see um you know see everyone out there and see both of you kind of really thriving in your practice. So thanks thanks for taking the time to join join us uh, today.
2: Yeah, our thriving is thanks to you guys. So thank you. Yeah, I think we're just eternally grateful for the experience we had and. Um, just couldn't be happier with the fellowship. Thanks again. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco sports medicine podcast featuring Dr. Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.